3: a Day Podcast.
4: Welcome to another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast The voices that you are hearing tonight are probably not the ones you are used to hearing Steve Perhatch is being Dad of the Year Sick children, we want to wish them back to health at the very soonest possible moment And uh, Trevor Josart was unable to record tonight as well So I am your host tonight, I am Jacob Westendorf And joined with me of Dairyland Express at Fan Sided and Pack-A-Day of course is Paul Brettle. Paul, say hello to the people
2: Hi there, everyone. Happy to be on with you tonight and talk Packers football, as
4: always. That's always true. It's never a bad day to talk Packers. We are a few days away from the NFL scouting combine, so that's a big deal. If you didn't listen to yesterday's episode with Ross Uglum and Jacob Morley, you will want to do that as soon as possible. They have a ton of good info for you in that piece. So we're not going to talk about the combine tonight because, quite frankly, we couldn't do that show justice Instead, we're going to talk about some of the news that has come out in the last couple days. And the big one, Paul, from Mike Silver, he was on NFL Network, and then he tweeted it. A couple things. He said, first of all, the Packers are expected to part ways with Randall Cobb, obviously longtime Green Bay Packer, drafted in 2011, uh, came onto the scene in that very year, a 108-yard kickoff return and a receiving touchdown in his first ever game, became one of the best slot receivers in football, and in addition to that, He said the Packers are expected to let Clay Matthews test the market, but they have some desire to re-sign him if the price is right. So before we go into Cobb, because I think that's the bigger bit of news or at least the maybe just the definite of that news is a little bit bigger, but he mentions Clay Matthews. Uh, I have mentioned before objectivity when it comes to Clay Matthews, maybe not my strongest point. He's one of my favorite players ever, Uh, and I – I remember when he got drafted, and uh, one of my favorite players immediately uh, as soon as he came into the league. But my question for you, Paul, is if the price is right was the phrase that he used, what exactly is that price, if any, or do you not have any interest in the Packers bringing back Clay Matthews?
2: Um, no, I definitely do, and I've been saying this all, all off-season long. Um, I would be happy to have him back at that reduced price um, if I... I had to take a guess at that I'd say maybe in the three to five million dollar range um, he'd be hopefully willing to come back um, but honestly what I think is he's going to enter the market you're going to get a, a mid to lower level team maybe like the the Jaguars or the Bengals a team like that I could see throwing you know ten twelve million dollars his way um, as kind of a using air quotes here big splash signing even though at this point in his career he's not the same as he once was but I think he holds still holds a lot of value. Um, he still can make plays as we saw last year, just not as frequently as he has in the past, but he also still draws the attention of defenses. And I think having that, um, or of offenses, I apologize. Um, and having that on our team will still go a long way.
4: Yeah. I think your number is right around the, right around the frame I'm in. I would even be reluctant to go to 5 million. And again, this is, uh, I mean, the reality of the situation is that the Packers have a finite number of resources and eventually some of those small deals start to add up pretty quickly. And would I rather have like three deals of, say, Clay Matthews, Geronimo Allison, and someone like a Lane Taylor kind of deal, even though Lane Taylor is not a free agent, but something like that? Or would I rather spend that $15 million on, say, Earl Thomas, for example, or Trey Flowers? I think the answer is the Packers need impact players. So I really am looking at a really small deal, and I can't anticipate. You mentioned a splash signing uh, for another team. I think somebody's going to pay him because his name is Clay Matthews, uh, and that means something still in the NFL. He's a Hall of Very Good player, certainly a Packers Hall of Famer, the all-time leader in sacks for the Green Bay Packers, and arguably the biggest play in Super Bowl Forty Five of a group of many that come to mind there. But if you want me to throw a team out there, I'm going to throw the Oakland Raiders. That's uh, in California. That's where Clay went to college. The uh, the Raiders need pass rushers, as John Gruden made very clear several different times throughout the season, even though they traded arguably the best pass rusher in the sport, to the freaking Bears. I'm still mad about that. But <laughs> I can't uh, I can't picture Clay being back in Green Bay next year, which is unfortunate um, because, like I mentioned, he's one of the greatest players Uh, Probably the best defensive player that the Packers had in this modern era of the defense. I know Charles Woodson obviously gets and deserves a lot of credit. Those are the two names. If you want to talk modern defense, uh, Woodson and Matthews would be uh, towards the top of that list. I would give actually a slight edge to Matthews just because he was the best player. Everybody forgets this because of Woodson's presence as the vocal leader and everything like that. But in my opinion, he was the best player on that defense that went to the Super Bowl that year. And that's saying something with guys like, I mentioned, Woodson, Tremont Williams, Nick Collins, etc. But that's a maybe. What sounds like a definite, and it definitely falls in line, uh, there was a picture that surfaced after the Packers-Lions game this year, uh, the last game of the season of Rodgers and Cobb hugging each other. I believe it was after the national anthem. And they were very emotional. You could see tears in Cobb's eyes. I think everybody knew, uh, and I was actually at the game, uh, field level for that game, and Cobb after the game, he ran right off the field right after the game. Uh, it was almost as if he didn't want to be on the field any longer because he knew it was it, that was over, it was done. Um, so that that falls in line. So real quick, Paul, obviously the first play that comes to mind, so I'm going to cheat a little bit here, because the first play that comes to mind for anybody with Randall Cobb is two big plays against the Bears, 4th and eight uh-huh. in 2013 to win the North, and then the third down reception this year against the Bears to complete the comeback. So outside of those two plays, what is your favorite play in the history of Randall Cobb's Green Bay Packers career?
2: Um, outside of those, um, you mentioned right when we got the show kicked off was his opening kickoff um, at the in his first game. Awesome moment, but I'm going to go back to just a couple years ago when Packers went to the... Um, NFC Championship, that first playoff game at home against the New York Giants. Before the end of the half, Hobb caught that Hail Mary pass from Rodgers, and I really think that that was a big, it was a huge moment in the game. Um, If I remember correctly, I believe it was a one-score game, and then that elevated up to, I think, a 10-point leader in that ballpark. Going into halftime just carried a bunch of momentum, and just to see another Aaron Rodgers, Hail Mary, somehow fall over every Giants, defenders, outreach reach hands, Cobb tiptoed in the back of the end zone. Uh, that's the one that stands up out in my mind.
4: I remember that play because I was in that end zone, and as soon as Cobb oh. caught the ball, like most people freak out, I was laughing uh, because I couldn't <laughs> believe that we had just completed a third Hail Mary in the span of 13 months. Uh, obviously a great play. Mine, I'm actually going to go uh, in 2014, the Packers were playing the Cowboys. The infamous Des Bryant game, he dropped it. I'm sorry, Cowboys fans, but it's true he didn't catch the ball. Read the rule book. It's unfortunate that it's changed for you now, but I don't really care. Nobody feels sorry for a Cowboys fan at any point ever. But in that game, it's third and ten. The Packers have the ball. If they get a first down, the game is over. Rodgers throws a pass that gets tipped. Cobb makes a diving catch and he stands up and he threw the ball through the back of the end zone you got a delay delayed game penalty on that play but I don't think anybody cared because the Packers can kneel out the clock but Cobb was a big time player that year uh it was his best year as a pro he had another play like that against the New England Patriots for example in that memorable win at Lambeau Field but Randall Cobb is one of the best and this is I mean a long list of receivers we've seen play with Aaron Rodgers I mean that Greg Jennings, James Jones, Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams. I'm probably missing guys just going through. Donald Driver, just going through this list right now, missing guys. Cobb's one of the all-time greats. Well, I shouldn't say all-time greats, but he's one of the best receivers to play in uh, Green Bay at this point uh, in the modern era.
2: And one of my favorite parts about Cobb is he was just a bear killer. It was every time the Packers played the Bears, he always had a big game. Um, Got some numbers here. He caught roughly 80% of his passes almost 900 yards on 61 receptions, 14 yards per reception, and then, as you mentioned, the two huge um, game-winning plays against them. Um, if there's one team that you're going to play your best against, it's going to be the Bears, and I absolutely love that. I'll miss that.
4: Yeah, the intro to my other show, uh, Pulse of the Pack with Jason Perone, has the Randall Cobb play on it and has ever since we started that show. It's one of my all-time favorite moments uh, in the history of the Packers. Cobb obviously has a lot of great moments like that. And also something about him that I think uh, maybe gets a little overshadowed is he just seems like a good dude. Uh, And I know Mm -hmm. that that doesn't, I mean, that's not, I don't want to say that's not important in the grand scheme of things because the reality is we don't know how these guys are outside of the field, outside of the camera. But a lot of people have vouched that he's a very good person he cares about the community in Green Bay, and you could tell at the very end he cared about being a Green Bay Packer, and as a fan, how can you not love that uh, as somebody who wants to play for the uniform that you happen to root for as a fan? So I'll miss Randall Cobb. I wish him luck unless he plays in Minnesota uh, or Chicago uh, next season. I think he can still be productive somewhere in a much smaller role, but I do think it's best at this point for the Packers to move on uh, and try and find some upgrades at the slot receiver position, which leads to... Paul, your story today for Dairyland Express at Fansided, and tell me about it. What is it? Who's in it? All that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, so what I did was I took a look at free um, agent agent-wide receivers available, and I picked out three in particular um, that I think could be good fits. You know, the Packers, really, they have a good core. Obviously, they have Demonte Adams, one of the best receivers in the league. Um, I think really think Geronimo Allison was on, was poised for a breakout year this year before his injury. Um, through the first four weeks of the season, he actually led the team in receiving yards. And then I love the base of MBS and EQ on the team as well. But I really think they need a strong veteran number two receiver that can come in. So the three names that I picked out was one, John Brown. Um, he's really going to be that over-the-top deep threat that I think would really benefit them, especially in the Matt LaFleur offense, who likes to take a lot of deep shots on those play actions that they'll set up. Um, The second one, this may not be a favorite amongst Packer fans, but I do like the idea of bringing in Golden Tate. Um, I know he is a little older. He'll be 31 this season. But since 2011, he has only missed two games, and one of those games came last year when he was traded to Philadelphia um, and had a game off to just get adjusted to the offense. So yes, he's a little older, but bringing him in on a one, maybe two year deal at the most, um, I think would be good for them. He's a really good route runner. Uh, he's known for racking up the yards after the catch which uh, would be great to shorten immediate throws. And then the last one, this would be the, probably the big splash signing would be bringing in Adam Humphreys, who is currently of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, undrafted out of Clemson. Um, but has really been consistent receiver for them as they've seen a lot of up and downs, especially at the quarterback position, especially last season. Um, Once again, good route runner, great hands, um, and will really give Rodgers that yards after the catch. And most importantly, all three of these guys will give him someone that he can trust. Uh, Last year, there was a really big disconnect, I think, between him and the rookie receivers and where they're going to be, and I think that contributed a lot to the issues we saw on offense.
4: Yeah, those are interesting options. Adam Humphreys has obviously been a popular name that I've seen. Golden Tate, to a lesser extent, I'm willing to forgive him for the fail, Mary. That was a long time ago. I don't care anymore. It's not that big of a deal. Um, You know, my thing with the receiver position is you really, it depends on who you talk to as to how much of a need they think that is and how that need should be addressed, uh, if at all. So my theory in this, for example, is this receiver class is very deep as far as the draft goes. And Ross said on yesterday's show that he thought, you know, if you're not going to pick a receiver at either 12, 30, or 44, then he doesn't have any need to see another receiver brought in. Uh, I would extend that to the third round just because I think that there's some value that you can get at that position. His reasoning behind it, and I agree with him, is that you have three mid round guys that you brought in last year. And if you're going to bring in another mid round guy, that's not an obvious pedigree upgrade. So there's no point in just base. Well, you're not giving up on those guys, but essentially adding another similar player, if you will, to that group. Uh, the free agent one is interesting, just because the Packers, like I've mentioned, you know they have a lot of uh, a lot of resources. And you mentioned a few guys there. Obviously, uh, another guy whose name I don't know, uh, how much buzz he'll get. But a guy I wanted last year uh, when he was on the free agent market was John Brown formerly of the Arizona Cardinals, last year with the Baltimore Ravens. Speed receiver, able to beat guys deep down the field. I think that is a possibility. I don't know how much money he'll cost. I can't imagine a whole hell of a lot. I mean, you're not looking at, you're not going to get a lot of like, uh, you know they're not going to trade for Odell Beckham. So you're not going to get a superstar wide receiver this year unless they were to trade for Antonio Brown, which has been discussed ad nausea on this show, so I don't want to get too deep into that. But, Paul, it sounds like based on the story that you wrote, and just some of the things you said there uh, in your previous point That you feel like the Packers' best route here Is not to go with another rookie But a veteran uh, to play with Devontae Adams And kind of help mentor some of these young guys That are in Green Bay
2: Yep, that's exactly what I think And to the John Brown I noticed before that uh, Spot track has him His market value at uh, two years, $12 million. So I think for uh, 28 years old I think that's a very reasonable cost to spend on him Um, But, yeah, I do. Like i mentioned, last season, when we've known from watching Rodgers over the years, the trust that he has with his receivers and where they're going to be plays a big part in the effectiveness of this offense, and that's why Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Randall Cobbs, Devontae Adams, he really wants guys like that on the team. And while I expect, and as we saw the season progress last year, the rookies to make a big jump, I just think that having a veteran who can – step in um, and get on the same page quicker than even, you know, a rookie receiver at the top level might be able to. I just think that would benefit the offense more quickly in the short term than relying on the draft would.
4: Yeah, I understand that. Uh, I think that, you know, something that was pointed out last year that was very telling, at least to me, was the Thursday night game that the Packers had against the Seahawks and Troy Aikman is pointing out how, you know, Rogers rolls and extends plays and nobody's moving, nobody's finding that other hole in the zone the way that Jordy and Randall Cobb used to when this offense was at its best. Uh, it was just kind of a kind of a cluster. Now, some of it was Rogers wasn't trusting what he was seeing. Another bit is it's hard to play in that scramble drill. Uh, you know, guys like Valda Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown, they didn't play in the most um, – extensive or the most complex of offenses when they were in college so when they see their quarterback roll to the right they kind of don't know what to do now I imagine that's something they will get better at but I also think that relying on I've said this a million times I said it last year when the conversation about Des Bryant came up and I'm very glad the Packers didn't sign him but that was an example of uh, just kind of how I feel in general and that is three non-top 100 picks Jamon Moore MVS and EQ to be specific should not stop you from trying to look for an upgrade. If there is one that presents itself and the guys that you mentioned, none of those guys are going to stunt the growth of any of those guys. And if MVS or EQ come in and they're just better players, they're going to get on the field. It's not like spending a first round pick. For example, if they pick a receiver at 12th overall, for example, that's somebody that's going to quote stunt their growth because they're going to give that player every single chance possible to get into the lineup and earn a snaps Sometimes that works out You see guys like Devontae Adams grow into stars Sometimes it doesn't You know, There's examples of that as well Another name that surfaced today Paul, and I don't know if this necessarily Qualifies as a veteran But it's somebody with a high draft pedigree Is John Ross of Cincinnati Tony Pauline reported today And he's as connected as anybody That the, the Bengals are going to look to move him And John Ross was somebody who was drafted very high. Uh, In my opinion, I said it right at the time, that's way too high for somebody who basically got drafted essentially off of his 40 time. Now, however, there is some talent there. There are some clips that my uh, podcast partner, Zach Jacobson, shared today showing he does have some abilities, not just a straight line speed runner, but John Ross didn't play his rookie season because he had a slew of injuries. He had some injury issues dating back all the way to his time. Uh, in college. And now he played a little bit last year. His catch rate was poor. Uh, It was below 50%, which 50% is not even good. And it's, it's just kind of a sticky situation, but it is somebody who is very talented and he would give the Packers receiving core an injection of some rare speed that, I mean, MVS is fast as all get out. John Ross is faster than him, and I guarantee beats him in a race by two or three solid steps. My question to you, Paul, is the Packers have said several times they want to be in every conversation. That doesn't necessarily mean they always pull the trigger when it comes to a trade or free agency. So if they make a call on the Bengals, what is the earliest amount of draft compensation you are willing to trade for John Ross, if at all?
2: Um, I think that there is the possibility that the trade could be made because of, he's just, as you mentioned, he's an athletic freak. And if we look back at the previous year, 12 months, that Ryan Gutekunst has been in charge of the Packers, that's who he's targeted. We look at, in the draft, MVS, as you mentioned, um, Oren Burks as a linebacker, Jair at corner. A lot of the players that he's brought in have been some of the best athletes at their positions. So I do think that Ross is going to be appealing to him. The hard part is we just, we just don't have a large sample size. I mean, he played three games or appeared in three games his rookie year. He's only got 60 total targets. It's really still tough to know who he is at this point, and at 24 years old, there's by no means you know his career's over. He could still turn into a heck of a receiver, especially if Aaron Rodgers giving him the ball. So to say that, to answer your question, I do think it's a possibility and the Packers do have 10 draft picks. You know, if a fifth rounder does it you know i'd be open to that just to add that explosive weapon to the offense and see what happens
4: here's kind of my thought and anybody who's listened to some of the stuff i've said over the last several years is i'm a believer that the draft is five rounds long uh with brian gutekunst or ted thompson they found some players in the fifth round sixth and seventh round picks are essentially preferred undrafted free agents uh what i've said this year is You know, I would like to see the Packers trade their 6th and 7th round picks to get back into the 5th round. I don't give a damn if they pick in the 6th or 7th round. Uh, Now, there are examples of guys like that panning out. Tom Brady is one of the best players in the history of the sport and was picked in the 6th round. Tom Brady is the exception to the exception to the exception to the exception to what is a general rule. So, when you keep that in mind, I would say the Packers have two sixth round picks. I'm not real wild about it just because John Ross hasn't, proven anything Uh, like I mentioned you know his numbers last year aren't great now I know he's playing with Andy Dalton and in a bad offense uh, that was run to some degree by Hugh Jackson last year who in my opinion is poison to any offense that you're trying to run watch the Cleveland Browns if you want an example of that from this past season before and after he left Um, so I say that to say if they were giving up a later version of that sixth round pick so whichever pick falls later and I would believe it's Seattle's based on the fact that they made the playoffs if they give up Seattle's six-round pick for him, I'm open to it. But I'm definitely not looking to give up anything of significant value. And if that's the case, I don't even know if the Bengals would be willing to trade him if they can't get anything uh, that resembles at least some sort of value for a guy they picked ninth overall. Then again, bad teams stay bad, and the Bengals are one of the worst organizations in football. Uh, so we'll see how they're feeling in regards to that. But I do think that if you just added him to this offense... It's another guy who can run down the field, uh, maybe gives you some value in the return game, which I do think the Packers could use an influx of talent on, uh, whether it's kick returner or punt returner, maybe specifically the punt return game with kickoffs kind of becoming more obsolete uh, as the days pass. But at minimum, you know, if he can give you some value in a punt return game, that's not bad either uh, to have something around like that. I think that at the end of the day, If the Packers are going to add a wide receiver, I really do think it's somebody that you have to see a safer bet to contribute on the first day they step into camp. Uh, And if they add John Ross, for example, that lowers the chance of them getting a receiver early in the draft, like I mentioned, or signing one of those guys that you mentioned earlier because at some point, there's just only so many spots. And, I mean, if you look at just the guys, I mean, you imagine they're probably going to bring back Geronimo Allison. You've got Devontae Adams, Geronimo Allison, the three rookies from last year. Trevor Davis still has a roster spot, although that is far from guaranteed at this point. And then you've got uh, Jake Kumaro, who's obviously a fan favorite and had uh, a big moment last year in New Jersey against the Jets and the Packers' lone road win of the season. So I'm not looking to give up anything of significant value. Uh, but I do think that it's something at least worth exploring if the if the Bengals are willing to do that. Paul, we got time for one more topic here before we sign off. We've been talking about free agency, uh, where you can find some value. You mentioned Spot Track, uh, my guy. The Book of Mark is what he's referred to as on Twitter. I don't know his real name, but uh, that's okay. It's almost better if you have the alias like that. Is You know, he's kind of going through some guys that the Packers could sign, and Mike Silver talked about this as well, how he thinks the Packers will be going for um, some value-type free agents. So when you think of value, I'm talking like last year's signing of Mercedes Lewis or Muhammad Wilkerson or to some degree Tremont Williams as well. Are there any guys like that at any position that you could see Green Bay targeting here? Because unofficial tampering pretty much opens up here on Friday when the scouting combine begins. But is there anything you can see – uh, that they should be looking for when that kicks off?
2: Um, a name that I've kind of been keeping an eye on and I think could um, venture his way to Green Bay is Luke Stocker. Um, he is the tight end for the Tennessee Titans. So there's the connection to um, Matt LaFour. He'll be able to adjust quicker to the offense, just having him um, on the practice field in the film room, especially if the Packers do... You know, they have Robert Tanyan. If they add a top level tight end at the start of the draft, a rookie, having Stocker to bounce ideas and um, having him to explain things, I think would be really helpful. And also, he's really, uh, he's not known as a pass catcher, but he's known as a good blocking tight end, which this team needs. Um, Robert Tanyan's a converted receiver, so his blocking's really raw. We all know Jimmy Graham isn't the blocking tight end, so really we don't have that on the roster. And with Matt Lafleur, there's going to be a lot more two tight end cents. We're going to need a tight end that can block. So I think that he's someone to keep an eye on. And as far as cost, uh, I think I saw he might, you know, maybe one, two million dollars a year. So it's not going to break the bank, but it'll bring in someone who knows the offense and can add the value of blocking at the tight end position, which the Packers don't have right now.
4: Yeah, that's possible. Uh, I think if you're looking for value, you know, here's the reality of the situation for me at least. I don't think the Packers should be looking for quote unquote value free agents at two specific positions, and that is safety and edge rusher. If you're gonna if you're gonna spend on free agents on those two positions, I really do think you should be big game hunting on those two specific spots. But the positions you can find some value on, you mentioned the tight end position. Uh, The Packers, you know, a lot of people are like, why the hell are they keeping Jimmy Graham? Well, the reality of the situation with Jimmy Graham is the Packers have one tight end on their roster under contract if they cut Jimmy Graham, and that's Robert Tanyan, who you mentioned is very raw and has shown little to nothing in games that count. So I think you can find some value there. Stocker's a name worth keeping an eye on. Levine Toilolo, he used to be the tight end in Atlanta when Matt LaFleur was there. I think a guy like that could be an example of somebody Uh, to be a value type free agent because I also think this is a draft in my opinion and I did the tight end position for the Cheesehead TV draft guide so there's my plug Uh, it's very deep and I think it's a position the Packers should be looking for not just one but two guys a lot of talk about Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, the two kids from Iowa and Irv Smith Jr. uh, out of Alabama but there's some guys that you can get later like Isaac Nauta, uh, Jay Sternberger Donald Parham, Dawson Knox there's Dax Raymond is another guy. There's so many players I think that you can get later in this draft as well. Now I do think the Packers should spend one of their first three picks on a tight end if the board falls a certain way. But I also think that they can get a guy late day two, early day three that can make a difference in this offense uh, for next season. And the other position is offensive line. I think that you can find some guards. You know, there's there's some whispers today that TJ Lang could be released from Detroit. Josh Sitton is somebody that could get released from Miami, although I, with the way Josh Sitton's career in Green Bay ended, uh, for those of you that remember, he was cut before, uh, or excuse me, at the very end of training camp, went to Chicago, uh, and has played there for a couple years, and then went to Miami after he was cut from them. But before Sitton left, the year before was a rough year for him in Green Bay. He was very vocal about play calling. He was very vocal about the fact that the Packers made him play left tackle in a game. Uh, I just can't picture him coming back to Green Bay, and this is While the regime is a little different, I can't picture him coming back uh, to Green Bay, and I can't picture them wanting him back either. TJ Lang, however, that's somebody I would be interested in. The guard position in general, I think, has some players that... It doesn't have to be Roger Saffold, although that would be a fantastic signing. Uh, There's some other guys that are available. I just mentioned a couple. So if you're looking for value, I think those are the two spots uh, that you're looking at.
2: Yeah, and even if... The Pack, I agree. The Packers should draft a tight end within their first three picks. And even if they get T.J. Hawkinson, you know, who's the cream of the crop this year, I still think there's a lot of value in bringing in a veteran-free agent. You know, Even for the best tight ends coming into the NFL, they're still rookies. There's still a steep learning curve because you have to be able to function in both the passing and running games as a blocker. So just having a veteran in there who can um, help them get affiliated with the offense and then just take the burden off of them at least at the beginning of the season and once they start getting into the swing of things and can handle more responsibilities, you know, then you can transfer over um, more of that playing time. But I think a, a tight end, a value tight end, as we've been talking about, will be should be on the to-do list this offseason.
4: Yeah, and I think it will be. I think Matt LaFleur has talked about it. The other – something else I kind of want to get into, I said we only had one more topic, but I guess I want to talk about this because it's a general philosophy question and – I kind of want to get your take on it as well, as I see a lot of people saying, well, you know, Matt LaFleur's offense needs this, or Matt LaFleur's offense needs that, or Mike Patton's defense needs this. My opinion on that is, and now granted, I know the Patriots have the advantage of having the greatest coach in the history of modern football and Bill Belichick to run their defense and kind of oversee their offense. But what they do so well that I admire is they are – a chameleon like from week to week they change and you know one week just for small examples' sake they run a four three next week it's a three four next week they're playing man to man one week they're playing zone coverage almost explicitly so the the Packers have I think to do that or find a way to do things like that so for example some people say that the Packers need to upgrade the slot receiver position because that is so important in Matt LaFleur's offense other people say that they don't need to upgrade this receiver position because they're going to play a lot of tight ends and they need to look to build their def- or offense that way. Some people say Mike Pettin. His scheme requires you know, cornerbacks and he doesn't necessarily have a big need for some pass rushers uh, on the edge because he has defensive linemen uh, get the majority. So like Muhammad Wilkerson when he was with the New York Jets, for example. I think that the Packers need to find a way to build the best players on the field and they build their schemes around them. That is something I would like to see. It's something Mike McCarthy failed to do in his final times uh, as the Packers head coach was he didn't put his players in a position to succeed. I want the Packers to make this roster like moldable clay and get their guys on the field and build their offense and defense around them. So what's your take on that? Should they be looking to fit players to the scheme or the scheme to the players?
2: Uh, I absolutely love this question, um, and that's what has me so excited about Matt LaFleur is because I think that he's someone that's going to fit the scheme to the players that he has. A small example was heading into last season as the Titans offensive coordinator. They, you know Their best player on offense was Delaney Blocker. That offense was tailored around him. He gets injured early from that point on. He's adjusting week to week to exploit the matchups to the players that he has, and that's what you have to do. Give him good football players the best you can and I think he'll be able to fit the scheme around them and make this team so much better and as you mentioned that was the part last year especially with McCarthy that was so frustrating even the last few years it seemed that if someone went down um, the offensive system stayed the same it was just next man up regardless of whether the system fit that particular player's skill set and it was just frustrating to watch so The chameleon like adjustments that are fitting to the players that LaFleur can do is what really has me excited for this upcoming season.
4: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm excited for that as well. You know, for example, I see a lot of people saying they need, you know, a second tight end or something like that. My opinion would be if your best players are your tight ends, play with more tight ends. If your best players are receivers, spread the other team out. Uh, If you have a really good stable of running backs, do that. I think something that is getting a little overblown, at least in my opinion, is talking about how Matt LaFleur committed to running the football last season. And I I agree the Packers need to run the ball more than they did last year, certainly. But I don't think they need to become a run-first team, especially in this modern day of the NFL where throwing the ball becomes more important. Just because last year, and this kind of leads to my theory a little bit, Matt LaFleur was playing with Marcus Mariota, who may not be very good, and Blaine Gabbert, who we definitely know is not any good. I'm thinking he ran the ball more often last year. One, because Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry is a good stable of running backs to have, but also his quarterbacks stink. Now he's got Aaron Rodgers, so he has the ability to play with those things. I think that's something he should be looking, or we should be looking at. Maybe not necessarily, what is Matt LaFleur's offense? Because the reality is we don't really know, and I'm hopeful that he doesn't have a quote-unquote set offense, but an ability to spread teams out if those receivers develop or play bigger if they have two stud tight ends.
2: Yeah, and I agree. And uh, LaFleur's offense comes from the Shanahan tree. We looked at Kyle Shanahan's time as a play caller in Atlanta. You know, they had one of the most explosive passing attacks in the league. We looked at his head coaching season last year. Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. CJ Beathard comes in. He tailors the offense to who he has, runs the ball a lot more, and they average it Around four and a half yards to carry as a team last year. So I I expect to see similar things from LaFleur and that flexibility, which which will be refreshing and fun to see.
4: That's what I'm hopeful for. Speaking of flexibility, we were very flexible tonight uh to record on such short notice. Paul, I thank you for that. That's gonna do it for this edition of Pack A Day. Be sure to check out the show. It's on your favorite any podcast venue that you like to use, subscribe, give us a review. One of you guys recently mentioned me, so I really appreciate those. Unless you're going to tell me I suck, then please don't do that. That would hurt my feelings. But um, thank you guys for listening in. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Jacob Westendorf, and you can follow Paul at?
2: Paul underscore Brettl. B-R-E-T-L.
4: What a fantastic last name. It almost feels like it has one too many vowels, but that's okay. We're going to go with that. Paul, thank you for joining me. Thank you guys as listening. Uh, As always, every single week, the Combine starts this weekend. Let me know who your favorite players are, what you're looking for, all that sort of stuff. And as always, go, pack, go.
3: Third and six, trailing 30-23, to 23, two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come, Rodgers looking. Throws left side of the, the end zone. Here it is! Touchdown! Come Adams! Adams left corner in the end zone from Aaron Rodgers! 16-yard touchdown pass! The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied! Beathard on third down and three in the shotgun football to the 46 at Green Bay Packers showing a blitz and here they come Beathard looking as he throws it deep down the right sideline and interception. intercepted on the play spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay Sam the looking right Throws the right side, thing Brown makes the touchdown to the 38-yard Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all six-five of his frame, tumbled out of bounds, inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side, to yes. McCabe, got it, together, out of bounds, inside the 10-yard line! My goodness! What a throw and catch! Again, they beat Maven down to the left sideline. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It yes. yes. is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. Go. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight, and the Packers win thirty-three to thirty.